All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Carbide Content. I'm one of your co-hosts, John the Boggs of Triaxis, and I make a knife called Midnight. And I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, starting with David, maybe? All right. <laughs> All right. I'm David. I make the Battle Scissors. I am Grant of Fellowship Blades. I make the Medusa Balasong. I am Dalen of MachineWise, and I make the Seraph and Prisma Balasongs. Excellent. Nailed it. I love how every time we keep talking about what we're going to do and we just do the opposite. <laughs> yup. <laughs> oh, I don't know. There was a plan. I just was winging it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should I talk about my handle thing I wanted to talk about? Yeah. yeah. How, how, so uh, I'm making my handles in like a very machine, uh, like a, a typical way to do things. So uh, I machine the top side, flip it over and you cut off that hat, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I'm suspicious. So I think generally it's smart to do like as much as you can in the first stop, right? Yeah. And right. so I have this, uh, you know, the tight tolerance pivot hole, just like a regular butterfly knife, but I have the weird lobes and stuff. Right. And I feel like it 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 gets pretty thin. Uh, you know, I have like a step down for it, and and so it's like only. 60 thou or whatever thick and i feel like maybe by doing it in the first op and then cutting off the the hat in the second op that it might have been changing the dimension of that hole interesting like do you think that's possible if you're too aggressive on the roughing i could possibly see that happening and so like i you know i machine it and then it feels like a pretty good fit with a gauge pin and then you know, you cut off the top hat, and then I actually have to like. Uh, there's kind of like a little ten thou pocket that also gets cut, and so it's you know it's pretty thin, and so I think you know I'm growing. It might have been growing by like half a thou or something. Um, it like it's it's a small amount I'm talking about, but it also could be that it's just it's just the feel of using a gauge pin. I feel like gauge pin is the best way to measure something like this. But if I if I'm going by feel, and I have to use a sixteenth of an inch end mill, I can't like break through all the way. You know, I try yeah. to break through as much as I can. Right. Uh, but that sixteenth inch end mill, I I only can get like I think I'm using a slightly longer one, so I think I can get uh, three sixteenths, you know, point one eight eight deep. Um. But I think it's, uh, you know, if you can actually, and then I, I made like a, a matching hole in the fixture that's like, you know, a couple thou bigger so that, you know, I don't feel the fixture, but the part's still supported and I can put a gauge screen all the way through. But, uh, you know, I can't go all the way through if it's the first op, but then that, that second op I can. And so I don't know, maybe it isn't actually, you know, releasing tension or whatever by cutting the top half. Uh, the hat off but you know at least at least this way i can i feel like i can get a better feel with a gauge pin okay doing in the second op you know but then the disadvantage is you know if there's like some slight misalignment you know fixturing it from one op to the other i think it's probably fine and uh you know i think the other critical features of uh like the the actual pins that hold things together, I actually kind of have to do those in the second op anyway. Um, so it's it's just like 
you know, slight misalignment from the outside contour to to the the whole position might happen, but it's probably, you know, like a couple thou max misalignment, if any, because um, it's still like a custom fixture for the shape. Uh, so wait, say that again of why you can't go all the way through the piece on the first stop. So I start with a quarter inch thick material and then I chop it down and uh, I get, you know, close to a 16th inch thick on the part, but then there's the bottom where it's being held. And so that's like another uh, like 90 thou maybe. Um, and so, you know, if I'm using a 16th inch end mill, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to use an end mill that's, you know, that 60 thou plus 90 thou long. Have you thought about like drilling through, you know, slightly undersized to your lobes all the way through and then only doing your lobes halfway through? That's, that's what I was doing. Yeah. Okay. That is what you're doing. Okay. Never mind. I'm, I'm on track now. That makes yeah. Sense. So, uh, yeah, that kind of works, but you still can't put the gauge pin as far as doing it in the second op. Right. And so, sounds, go ahead. It sounds like you might be having deflection. It sounds like the hole might be getting tapered. Yeah. I think that's that's possible too. I think yep. I'm I'm trying to do a, a spring pass. Um you know, it's aluminum, so it's like uh, right. I'm not that worried about doing a spring pass being a problem. No, so yeah. Because like um, if you can put the pin in like if it gets snug on the first side with the pin and then you flip it over and you you deck off that material and then it's it feels more open. Yeah, so it I, seems like it's gonna be def- like like it's deflection, but I'm not sure. Yeah, so I made more handles, and I I, I think that, uh, see, like what was happening is, uh, possibly two problems. So I made handles a little while ago, mm-hmm. and I felt like the holes felt good, but then I do the second op, and then actually take them off the fixture, and I recheck the holes, and I'm like, hmm, those are a little big. You know, I want to be holding less than a thou. So, right. uh, you know, I'm looking, I have like, uh, for this hole, I have gauge pins that are like in half thou increments. And so I was like, hmm, that, that's a little bit, that's like maybe a thou bigger than I want. Um, and then I went to anodize, I had them anodized, and they also seemed even bigger. This is the second time I feel like anodizing has made holes bigger. Um, and so, like, I, I see people say with, like, such certainty whether or not anodizing adds material or not. Um, but what I think the process does is, like, it, it kind of, uh, you know, acids are used, which kind of dissolve the little material a little bit, but then material is kind of added back on in the same way. Uh, and it tends to balance out maybe. And so if we're talking about like tenths here, I feel like maybe, uh, you know, there's a little bit more dissolving happening before the adding back on. Um, well, okay. I was going to say, I'm Dale and will have more aluminum anodizing experience, but the way anodizing works is it grows material both into the aluminum and on the outside as an oxide layer. Um, yep. So I don't think it in most common cases where you're you have a large part, there is usually a pretty standard like whatever it is, a half thou added material uh, to your part or whatever that is. 
But when you get to tiny features, you will see degradation because the actual surface area, there's, you know, a phenomenon where like a thin sheet of magnesium will self-ignite whenever you just like barely touch it. Yeah. But a block of magnesium won't. That surface area does a lot. Um, and so I think the same phenomenon is happening here is the little surface area in your pivot hole is causing it to degrade into the part more than it's adding onto the exterior. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I've even thought about if I should, uh, uh, machine it after anodizing this hole, but there's a few reasons that'd be annoying. And I'd like to believe that the, uh, layer of anodization would help with wear, you know, it definitely right. would. Yep. So in my experience, you're doing, these are 7075 aluminum. Yeah. So I lost an entire batch of handles that were 7075 to anodize because they over etched it before anodizing it. Mm. They took off like three thou from all surfaces oh by accident. Holy etch. cow. Um, oh so it honestly could just be that they may have over etched it slightly. Did they come back a lot duller than when they were sent out? Um, it's hard to say. Uh, like uh, the first time I did black, and the second time I did gold for the handles. And I guess uh, the black would be hard to tell. Yeah, the black's hard to tell, and these the ones that the holes seem too big, mm -hmm. which could be partially my fault or entirely my fault. Uh, uh. You know, I think I think the finish looks okay. It looks, you know, because I tumbled it, so uh, right. Yep. I, it's hard to say it was less shiny. Okay. Or anything. Yep. Um, it might just be a, a just a matter of working with the anodizer a little bit and telling them about the critical features a little bit more, and yeah. they might be able to control their etch better. Yeah, or instead of machining after, I I could do something where you mask it off, but that's probably not great either. Yeah, masking would be a pain. Yeah, yeah. I, you may want to just try to go with the machining after approach while you're working on figuring out if they can achieve a tight tolerance in your in that area, because at least that way you know that you can do it. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it's worked out for a number of handles already. I think it's just this time I went slightly too big, and okay. then you know, like. If they're adding a few tenths, then that's like totally fine. I just have to not also be, you know, my tolerance just can't be as high, uh, you know, because right, these parts right. I was already a little bit worried about it being on the high side. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm going to try again. And this time they're like more on the low side, uh, you know, and uh, like I'm sending fairly small batches and they're fairly quick. Uh, and we'll see how it goes. Nice. Um, which which feature is the actual part that's too loose? Is it the the interior or the exterior of the lobes that's happening? Do um, you know? Well, you know, gauge pins are round, so it, you know if if you're we're, we're talking about a hole, right? Right. Well, so so your gauge pin is loose when you put it through, right? Yeah. I mean, I I also put my pins that that actually are for it and you know right i think i think they're both end up loose so what you could do is you could leave the the actual uh the circular hole portion you could leave that tighter mill your lobes to dimension and then you could ream out the inside as post-op 
after anodizing. And that way you would only touch just a little bit of material to get to the final dimension. Does that make sense? Yeah, I've uh, I don't know if I've thought about it with anodizing, but I've I've thought about if I could like ream and I even tried it in a video, ream the middle section. I think um, I remember that. It I, I feel like it doesn't work very well. Okay. Um I don't know. I have bad luck with reamers personally. They're really good at making sure a specific size fits in the hole, but they're not really good at keeping that hole like tolerance. Yeah. <laughs> reamers everything has their use because you know yeah what's that your your pre-hole matters a ton for reamers like if it's like it a does bigger, or like if it's off kind of thing yeah it's like seven and a half thousand side supposedly for the depending on size but yeah yeah i uh and then the other thing i did with changing up the way i make them is is uh i decided to try doing as little tool changes as possible basically so i went from like 12 tools to six tools nice wow but but i uh i'm now doing like everything with a 3 inch end mill so like all the roughing and finishing and then i'm also facing and then even plunging some holes and plunging counter bores with the end mill nice yep. and yep. uh and so it makes it take like 40 minutes just with one tool, which is like kind of good, but uh, I think, I think it is overall slower. And so it's like, whether or not I think it's a win to not have to be uh, sitting by the machine as much. Right. I mean, it could add to your process reliability. I don't know how good the tool changer on your Tormach is, if it's reliable or not. No, I, I never use it because it doesn't even have enough tools as I usually want to use. Right. I mean, now, okay, now if I get yeah. on to six, I could give it a shot. I mean, that uh, alone would be worth it. But, yeah. uh, but I, yeah, I don't really, I don't really trust it. Um, exactly. I never trusted any Tormach tool changer that I used. Yeah. So, uh, not having to manually by hand take out tools is, is even better. You guys yeah. have, sorry, What's up? go for you it. Trust them. Cause they don't tool change properly or is it like another reason? I've had, <clears throat> I have like, uh, problems that like, you know, I think there's problems that like I've had with Haas tool changers where they've dropped tools and stuff like tool changers can always have some issues. I've had the weirdest issues with Tormux tool changer where maybe they fixed it. Uh, you know, and, and it, it's probably fixed uh, now that there's like the next generation. So I have like the last generation of Tormox and there was some weird issue with the literal motherboards of the computers they use that would cause a, uh, like interference with USB cables. Oh yeah. Um, it's been, Uh-oh. it's been many years since I looked into this, yep. uh, but they told me about it. And so all these accessories run on USB. And if you tried to use too many, uh, strange things would happen. Uh, but I think strange things could happen either way. And what was happening with my tool changer is there's kind of like an order of moves where it's like, it comes in or sorry, like the, the, like, uh, spindle moves to the right position, then it comes in, then the spindle moves up, then the tool changer goes back, and then the spindle comes down. And it would like do those moves in like the wrong order. Oh, good. It, like wow. it was like just totally, it's not just like, oh, I misaligned things and it dropped tools. Like sometimes it would just literally like bang the tool changer into the wrong thing or, <laughs> or, uh, it, it was crazy. Um, that's frustrating. So, Along with wow. like the regular tool change issues, and this was three years 
plus ago or whatever, I oh. decided to just stop worrying about it. Yeah, when I was running the Tormach, um, I never had those issues, fortunately. Is it the, what is it, like, the third generation uh, that you have? I have just the regular 1100. I don't know. Uh, okay. What? I think there's, like, a generation number on the on the control panel inside the machine. Uh, I can't remember. I know. The, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think my serial number for the machine is like four, 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 four or something. Okay. Yep. Uh, um, it's probably similar age to the one I was running. Um, ours would always just snap off tool pockets when it was trying to put the tool in the spindle. Nice. Yeah, yep. but when I got it, uh, I think I, I didn't run Mach three on it or anything. But I think if it had Pathpilot, it was really new. Okay. Um, and so there's been a ton of updates of Pathpilot since then. Uh, and, and you know, I think even though, yeah, I, I think it's possible that, that they fixed it and, like, I've changed the way I do the wiring a little bit. Um, it might work, but it's still just kind of annoying to deal with. Right, yep. But, yeah, I mean, if you're losing, say, 10 minutes total in cycle time, but you're gaining, you know, 40 minutes of unattended runtime, I think it's worth it for now. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, that yeah, I, I think uh, I'm gonna at least try it for a little while. Nice. Yeah, uh, so it's like and then and then I'm also using uh three thirty seconds to also do uh uh for uh drilling instead I just you know circular interpolate. Yep, yep. Oh, nice. So it's just like three end mills and then a engraver to do fancy patterns and then like uh chamfer tool and that's it. Nice. That's, that's awesome. I think so. You also get rid of like a spot drill too. Mm-hmm. What have you guys been up to? We can start with John. Oh, okay, uh, I'm ready. Uh, <laughs> what have been up to? Uh, just trying to get knives at the door, like usual. I yeah. I sent a book spot out beginning of last week, and the customer got it and was like. Hey, the lock bar travels all the way to the right side. So basically, that means the lock bar insert pretty much failed. Yeah. Okay. Too much lockup. Yeah. And so when it left, it was good. And so I'm, I've had this issue before where it's like, it seems really good. And what I do to test them is I actually snap the knife open against the stop pin as hard as possible. So yep. basically, that'll throw the blade, I guess, as far as it can go, which yeah, gives kind of the lock bar the force open. Yeah, it gives it the lock bar the most opportune amount of movement it could move. Uh-huh. And it was still good. So, but I have been debating switching from 17.4 for the lock bar insert only and going to something harder. Cause I wonder okay. if the corner of the insert is, they're soft. I mean, compared to the blade, obviously. And Great. it's a little different from the pivot where this literally is a wear surface. Yes. Yeah. Kind of wonder if they're too soft. For this, and I've had what somebody are they coming out to. Uh, what is H nine hundred? It's like thirty five, I think. Hold on. Oh, that's yeah. I problem. think it's around there. That is pretty soft. Yeah. So I've had somebody actually send me back one for the same problem where the insert wore out, and then obviously the lock bar runs out of travel, so then it starts to click kind of because the back yep. of the blade hits the yeah. lock bar. So I changed that, but I'm think I'm going to change to something harder because okay it's a recurring issue and it's like it's actually a pretty stressful thing for me anyway oh, yeah. when you put the whole knife together and then the inserts the wrong size or 
Like I'm not really, I don't have a real system yet for blade comes off the machine, it gets tumbled for X amount of hours, and then this exact insert will fit and work. Right. Because I'm bending them on a fixture, so at least the the bend amount is repeatable. But I'm always having to be like, okay, you know, negative one thou on the face of the insert or positive one thou. And it's really right. within that range, but it's a huge difference just okay. within that thou range. Where if do they you fit use a, not, do you use a single a single stop pin? Yes. Okay. Which makes it more complicated because Yeah, I was gonna say if you had two, you could adjust the um the lockup with just the pin diameter. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's what Grimsmo does a lot. Is they, yeah, is I think pins. I wasn't sure if he's the only one who does that. Um, there's, there's quite a few double double stop pins now. Okay. Yeah, it's also on mine. It's an external stop pin. His is internal, so it's in the uh, inside yep. the, the blade. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like a funny forum topic about how strong that is, but yep. nobody uses their pocket knives that hard, anyways. Yeah. Right. But um, um, yeah, it's like I don't know, and it's such. It's such a, like a bad, it's a really bad first impression when they're like, hey, I just opened it and I did this, mm-hmm. and this and you're like, oh yeah, I know the struggle with that. Yeah, you're like, yeah, it's really hard to just say sorry because it's like it shouldn't have left that way, but right, it's where it left good. <laughs> yep. I've heard um, ABL is used a lot for lock bar inserts. Gotcha. Yeah, we talked about that uh, last episode, I think, that Crimson does. So, like, is uh, the lock bar insert, can it move at all? where it's positioned like do you think because if you're only talking about like a thou or something even if it's you know goes in with a countersink screw or something i feel like the position could change slightly so it's got it's got three points of contact and then it's got two screws that hold it down okay and it's always a really good fit like you can drop them in but they don't wiggle in the pocket and if you flip the knife over and shake it they'll fall out so it's not like a yep that's probably yeah, good then. Yeah, that under- interference fit, but it's a really close fit. Um, yep. And then the screws obviously hold it down. Yep. Um, and there's do two you, of them. Do you do a spine whack on them before uh, shipping? Like every fifth one, not all of them. So basically I'll okay. set them to where it looks good on the knife as far as lockup goes, because that's another contentious type topic about how far lockup percentages from zero. Right, yeah. to I've heard like 25%, but that's from one source. So. So, so people have their, their own preference and like for a book spot, they'll message me and they're like, can you make it stronger than you normally would? Cause I'll usually set it to like lower, you know, below half a little bit. And some yep. people, they don't trust it if it's that low. So they want it almost like center of the blade, which oh, I understand. Um, but I haven't had one fail. That's at least 30%. And I think the right. reason that they, they will not fail is because that 17.4 is so soft that it actually grabs. Mm-hmm. Right. But, so you kind of have a trade off there, and I, I still think it's too soft, anyways. Yep. Um, I didn't notice any like lock bar stick on the one that you brought to Blade Show. Yeah, and that's it's that is a nice thing that it doesn't have any stick to on like disengagement, but mm-hmm. and these these know. are like that, angled like, surfaces, right? So the blade on mine is seven point five degrees, and then the lock bar face is square, so it's flat. Yep. Yep. So it's it's like a wedge essentially, and there's oh, also debate about what the angle should be, but that's just how I have it set, and I don't get lock stick, so yep. it, you know, but that could be a combination of the angle and the material. 
but I'm surprised it doesn't lock stick with how soft the 17.4 is. So, yeah, right. Do you notice that like the corner of interference getting smushed in with with the 17.4? So if you if you carry the knife around for a week and then you disassemble it, you can see on the corner of the insert and on the blade where the contact patches. But the blade just has a. It's kind of you know what I'm talking about. The blade has yeah. like a mark, but it's not. It's not where yeah, it, exactly it's like fine metal that's been rubbed yeah, into it. Or something. Yeah, totally. The insert does have like a typical deformation of some sort, but it hasn't it hasn't broken down or um, failed in any way. So it's basically worn into that that position, I guess. Right. But it is soft, and it does show that after a week. So yeah, I'd I'd go harder then for that. Yeah. Yep. So we think AEBL then, because I, I I'm gonna try because I have um 20 CV obviously I have some right. of that and then I have something else uh LMAX. Then, <laughs> yeah you're right I guess I just because I have 20 CV lying around from blade scraps <clears throat> so is we, 20 CV pretty um pretty uh stable in terms of dimensions post heat treat like but from soft to hard does it grow at all or warp on you during heat treat not from what i can tell if it okay. if it had a warp prior it has the warp after <laughs> right yep cuz i know aebl is pretty dimensionally unstable through yeah. heat treat it likes to grow a bit more yeah i almost cuz i think 7 for 20 cv you can only get down to like 55 HRC and I kind of want to go in like the forties, but I don't know what kind of stainless would be in there. Well, the, the blade is like 60 or something, right? So wouldn't you want as hard as you can go? No, you don't want it. I'd, well, see, I don't know, but I would imagine you wouldn't want it to be as hard as you can go. Cause then you'll get like, if you do a spine whack, it'll fail. Cause it'll just slip. Right. I mean, so like mm-hmm. the old school way used to be carbonizing on the lock bar. Um, and yeah. I know it's a really thin layer of carbide, but it is still a layer of carbide. Right. Well, kind of. It's not like tungsten carbide, though. It's No, it's... Uh, it's, it's. Well, I know people actually use carbide. end mills. See, they would the actually reason, carbonize with an end mill. The reason I thought... I feel like carbonizing was only like... If you compared it to a HRC, it was in the 30s when you compared it to... Which I'm just... I don't know. I'm just off of memory right. And I'm certainly not an expert on any of this yeah. stuff. It'd be a really hard surface to even try to test the hardness I, on. And it, it's so sure. thin as well. I wonder if it even hold up to hardness testing. Yeah, I'm not sure the testing would be accurate because you'd be deforming the steel underneath the carbide. Yeah, this wasn't, I wasn't going to test that. I just like Googled for a, it's not a one-to-one, but with yeah, no realm. Exactly. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think you can really accurately test that. I mean, I think, isn't tungsten carbide like 80 Rockwell C. I thought it was Actually, 70, but I maybe it's like not. crazy. Uh, it's hard as heck. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and I'm sure, I'm sure tungsten carbide is probably harder than silicon carbide or well I don't know maybe not silicon carbide but uh, there I don't is know. an order. So so when was was Grimsman when he was doing carbonizing was he carbonizing titanium? No. Yeah. That's what Wait, he did. was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? So. So I don't even know exactly what's going on there. Cause like to me it makes sense with steel, like, oh, you're shooting extra carbon into the 
into the surface, it makes sense. It'd be harder. Yep. But uh, if it's if it's titanium, I'm not even sure what's what's really going from, on. From my understanding, it's it's literally just melting off the end mill and just applying a thin layer of that carbide onto the titanium. Okay. Well, okay. Maybe if if that's, that's the crazy. case, I didn't think that's what happened. But may, okay. Yeah, that's my understanding. Yeah, which I could be totally wrong. I don't. I also don't know if it's it has the same like one to one properties as tungsten carbide. Right. It might make some weird alloy, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not totally I, sure. That's obviously worked for years on yep. titanium frame locks before inserts right. became a thing, like ten years ago. Mm-hmm. But I mean. What if you tried like a 20 CV one and and just gave it an aggressive temper and shot for like 55 Rockwell, 56 Rockwell, and then just spine whack the hell out of it and see if it, you know, yeah. fractures or, 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 you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously this is like, it needs to go up for testing. Right. So yep. I think the reason I was okay with using 17.4 was because when I did look at like carbonizing in comparison, it was not that strong uh, as far as like that goes. But Obviously, it's completely different uh, as far as like just behind the edge, there's more steel. And then just behind the edge of titanium, a carbonized edge is titanium, which has a completely yep. different. You but know. See, I, I think what's going on is you're talking about strength. And I don't think strength is the issue. If you do one test it may work. I think it's a wear thing. So, you know, if, if that one guy just if the very first open was the problem, like, OK, maybe it's a weird knife and. Whatever, but I think like the point of the carbonizing or the point of using a harder steel isn't that like it resists being whacked. I think it's just that over time it's going to wear. You're going to lose tiny bits of material over time, opening and closing it over and over, and then that changes the size of it, and that changes how much it's you know interfering with each other. Yeah, I mean, but, it, I it might be hard enough on the titanium to wear it it doesn't come off, you know what I mean? Where it's harder than the blade. But again, I don't, I can't remember what, what I read, you know, it was like two years ago or whatever. Right. And it's all black magic voodoo, that trade secret stuff. Yeah. yeah. But, it, but it's also the same. You could probably apply the same thought process with the 17.4 and go like, okay, it's softer. It's significantly softer than the blade. So as opposed to it actually removing material from the lock bar, it should just be pushing material off the lock bar. Like, What's the word? It's, um, it's deforming. Yeah, deforming. But it's not going to. It's going to deform to a point, and it'll stop until you do something to the blade that brings it out of that the regular use case where it deforms right. even more, and then maybe yep. it fails then. Yep. But well, as it deforms, it has more surface contact, right? Yeah. So it's essentially yeah. going to deform until it stops, and then it'll stop, and then and then it'll wear. I guess if it. It, you know, if it can't go anywhere, but I don't yeah. know, like some, some long-term testing shows it doesn't, it doesn't change at all from some people who daily use them for like the okay. last eight months, mm-hmm. like pretty hard daily use kind of thing. And then, and then some fail. So I wonder if it's also just me sucking with the, I mean, it could be something really silly. Like there's a little burr or something on the, yeah, top, right. on the tip that you don't just, you know, one little shoulder or something that's a thou longer, but I don't know. Like, that makes a big difference, probably. You, you know, that's yeah. a good, that's a good point. Maybe you could just purposely, you know, chamfer off that corner to essentially 
preset the deformation deformation and that way you're not worrying about like how sharp the corner is from the get-go yeah because because yeah. i mean as we all know knocking off an edge or knocking off a corner is kind of easy um, yeah yeah <laughs> but if right. you like put a little sharpie on the face of the lock bar and then like on like a very fresh knife and then you 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 use the lock bar you open and close the knife like what do you think you'd see on that sharpie uh, so you actually you don't need the sharpie because it almost immediately uh, after like fifty opens it'll start showing up marks on the blade. Where well, the that's what you said, but that's why I wanted to make a difference between like the very first open versus the like fifty. Yeah, I don't know because um, uh, to me, I think I think that you're right. There's probably some deformation and somewhere, um, and I think both are probably happening. Uh, at the same time, it's just, uh, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. It's very, it's very interesting. And, and I think, but I think, uh, I think both would probably happen less if it was just harder steel. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I just have like a general issue of doing this run around with my head cut off, chasing around uh-huh. problems. And it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, I should be able to make six of these a week and I can only make like two and it doesn't. Right. And you're like, you talk to people and they're like, it doesn't really make sense. You've been making the same thing for like eight months. And like, why does it still take you this long? And I'm like, well, cause I'm still chasing around these, these yeah, tiny still dialing little... things in. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. I don't know. It's uh, I don't know. It's annoying. A long process to dial thing, you know, di- they're a lot more yeah. complex than yeah. people yeah. initially think. Yeah. It's um, like those, those pivots yesterday, those stupid dents in the middle. Yeah, right. It's, yeah. it's always another, it's always another thing. Yeah, I yeah, was like, seriously. man, I made thirty of these and I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> man, standing them on the on the like I'm oh, yeah, I saw those in your story. Yep. Yeah, I, something that helped me whenever I was going through a similar phase was with both the Pit Viper and Medusa. I kept aiming to make fifteen. Like every week, I was like, I'm going to make fifteen, and I'd end up making like three or, or uh-huh. four. And then as soon as I lowered my expectation, I was like, I'm going to make five this week. Yeah. Then I made six and I was like, what the hell? And then <laughs> next week I was like, I'm going to make five. And then I made 10 and I was like, what the hell? Yeah. Uh, and it's just something that whenever your brain switches to like one piece flow and mm-hmm. you just focus on the issues with this one and you resolve them permanently, suddenly everything gets easier. But whenever you're focused on making a lot, you just get broken down by all, every repeated thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's kind of like when... Like I have some people message me, they're like, Hey, I'm working on this knife. Can you help me with this thing? And like, you know, you you're with them on like a Zoom call or whatever, and they have their fusion file and it's like they haven't made they've made like a couple prototypes and then the palette they're showing me, they need help with like a tool path or something. It's got like ten blades on it, and you're like, Yeah. Yeah. Are you sure that those ten blades you're about to spend like three hundred dollars worth of material on is gonna be good? Yeah. So like I'll usually just, like you said, do a one piece type thing, which you know, that goes back to like what you want to do as far as fixtures and stuff go, which is another contentious thing for me, but enough about me. <laughs> no, I mean, this is totally like exactly the same for me where only now I've really like switched mindset where it's like, I just got to make one and sell one and not be focusing so much on like mass protection, but it's still, it's still hard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, definitely like, that's like the case of my videos is, every video i try to be honest and show the imperfections of things but still to a viewer every video it's like oh look he's got it all figured out 
There's nothing like <laughs> yeah, should be a week it. and he'll be mass producing them. Yeah, right. Because in the video they see me flipping it, they see me cut some papers. So it's you know, but like you know, and even just getting that one, I talk to people and it's like I I just got to make the one, and it's like oh well, why don't you just do whatever you did to make the last one? You, you know, you took one to Blaze Show. Yeah, seriously. Like, yep. It's like yeah, <laughs> not yes, that simple. Know. Yeah, <laughs> I wish yep, I could. Or, you know. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's just funny. I've seen comments like, oh, you have a CNC and you made one. So like you can have like 500 the next week, right? It's a yeah. Print yeah. <laughs> but like, especially with the bend thing that I've already talked too much about is uh, uh, it, it, it feels like so much it was reliant on luck, like all the processes of heat treat and, and machining. And so I've just tried to like figure out different ways to get around the luck. But I don't know. Maybe I should just make a few. I have to scrap extra blades, but maybe I'll get lucky again and I can sell the one. Um, what I also did is this week I sent some more blades to to Phoenix for heat treating to 50 to 53 Rockwell because, okay. uh, you know, I still don't know if I'll be happy with that long term, but, you know, I realized like that's a really easy test. And so yeah, might, as well, yep. might as well see. Yeah, definitely. Um, but then I still want to do tests with other steels. Um, I'm just hoping to, I just want to make sure I do it the right way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, everything's always in constant improvement for all of us, probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Nonstop. Yep. Even to this day, I'm still thinking of how to tweak the, the blade tool paths on the serifs, get them better. What tools can I use that are different? Stuff like that. And that's what I love about machining is, is it's so, uh, you know, every skill, like, playing an instrument, whatever, it's all about like practice and getting better. But mm-hmm. it's like in machining, you can kind of save your progress because mm-hmm. yes. you, you know, you can just run it again, you know, tweak some things, run it again. And you like actually can see that. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, could be a permanent thing. And, uh, you know, I think Tormach left uh, a Instagram post. I was like, what would advice would you give to someone like new? And I just, I said the, uh, make it work make it accurate and then make it fast. There you yep. go. Yeah. Like you can great. start, you can start accurate and get faster, but you can't start fast and get more accurate. Yeah. Uh, and also you could risk hurting yourself. Um, <laughs> and so like, uh, that's, that's, what's great about machining is, is, you know, you figure out how to make the program and then you figure out how to dial in the tolerances and then you can figure out how to shave off the seconds and like you get to save those steps. Um, mm-hmm. Unless you work in a bad shop like I did where they don't give you any extra material and everything <laughs> yeah. has to be perfect and fast immediately. Yeah, exactly. no yeah. If you're lucky, I mean, you have one setup part. Yeah, you have a hot job with one piece of material that needs to be done tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's customer supplied material. Yeah, and, oh, it's, that's or, and it's a casting. So. <laughs> uh-huh. Or it's just a $2 piece of aluminum and it's like, really? We couldn't right. get another... Yep. Oh gosh! I did some giant castings at a seventy seventy five that was customer supplied, and oh, they sent God. just enough to do the whole job. Oh, Wait, like God. an aluminum casting? Yeah, seventy seventy five. Oh, uh, that, casting. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know how castings of aluminum like different alloys work. Can you cast like any alloy and it's still like just as good? I don't know, honestly. I think it depends on the casting method, but for yeah. the most part, I think so. Yeah. Huh. Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't say just as good because I mean, just like cast steel versus you know extruded steel, you're going to have different grain structure. But 
It's always weird to me that cast iron isn't technically steel because it has too much carbon. Yeah, which is such a, such a misnomer. <laughs> yeah, right? I don't know. And mm. apparently it sucks to machine. I've never had to machine cast oh, iron. Oh, it's It's awful. dusty and dirty and gross and it is bad, so bad for everything. It's bad for you. It's bad for the machine. It's bad for your coolant. It's all just bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is brutal. I mean, I've been lucky enough to ever have to machine cast iron, really. I've I've done it. Well, it was one run, but it, it was technically one setup, and it was brutal. Yep. I mean, I've seen machines that people buy that was in like a cast iron shop that it, you know just ran cast iron only, and like like a year later, there's they they find another surface outside the machine that like is just covered in cast iron dust. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I've I've been underneath and inside those machines cleaning them. Right. It's awful. Ugh, gross. Yeah. All right, Dalen, how's your week going? All right. Um, <laughs> I bought an Okamoto grinder. Hell yeah. So that's super exciting. That is so exciting. So you bought a, a used one. Yes. So after it. after doing the runaround, getting quotes on new ones, uh, prices have gone up like 30% across the board on Okamoto grinders. All right. Like brand new. Uh, a, a big portion of that supposedly is because of uh, freight overseas is significantly more expensive these days. Yeah. Um, so they were, they were like just outside of my, of my budget since I can't really get financing. Mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. really want to have to drop 50 to 60 grand on the spot. Yeah. That's a lot of cash just to be, it is, it, it would have wiped me out pretty much entirely. Like I yeah. maybe could have swung it, but I, it would not have been a very good like financial decision. Yeah. Um, so I applied for financing and while that was going through, I got a lead to a, a 1999 6, 618 ACC DX, which means it's just a, it's a three axis automatic. And uh, it was 11 and a half grand. And I bought it, I think, within an hour of finding that posting. Uh, <laughs> oh, just wow. about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he he, yeah, te- he were... texted me like in 15 minute increments. He goes, I think I'm going to yeah. buy this Okamoto. And then he's like, I'm I'm going to go through this. And then yeah. like. 30 minutes later, he's like, I bought the Okamoto. <laughs> yep. I've convinced myself it's a good idea. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's visually, it's it's like completely mint. There's no missing paint. Um, even the the control, like the, the little dial increments that are usually like painted on, all of them are there. There's no wear on like anything. Nice. So we'll really see. Cool. It is still a gamble. It was sight unseen, technically. It's in Kentucky. Yeah. Oh, man. Um. It's uh, I'm I'm actually I have to coordinate with uh, with freight and rigging today just to dial that all in. But uh, I should have it within a month at least. Awesome. So that's, that's exciting. Cool. Yeah, I mean, yep. Grinding like was a Japanese machines. Yeah, it's like oh, nine yeah. months or something. I mean, I've tried looking up, uh, trying to find forum posts of like people not liking an Okamoto or like an Okamoto being down for maintenance. And like, they're kind of hard to find. Yeah. Oh, I found it, it was oh. on eBay in Kentucky. Oh, uh, maybe what uh, was is it twelve thousand five hundred? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's the listing. I talked him down a little bit on it. Nice. Yep. Um. Awesome. Yeah. So that's really exciting. Uh, grinding was definitely one of my weaker links. Like not in terms of accuracy. I have been holding my blades within within about a three to four tenth total tolerance range. But uh, the finish. I've since day one, I've hated the finish off my Tormach grinder. It's always been wavy. I've spent yeah. dozens and dozens of hours trying to balance wheels and it does nothing. Yeah. 
yeah i uh my future as well yeah um and also i'm just i'm i'm limited by by throughput i have to grind minimum of nine blades a day to keep up with with production Goodness gracious man and i'm doing it it's got auto increment down feed i'm so jealous I yeah, auto increment down feed when it finishes um it's it, its entire cycle it even parks the table away and like it just yeah. sits there being done so nice. honestly for that price it's like oh yeah you ask me i'd be like yes all day <laughs> right even if like even if even if it comes and something is not functioning on it properly um i could still s- turn around and sell it for like eight grand and yeah. i wouldn't really like i wouldn't lose my ass on it yeah yep that's so that's really exciting yep that'll be big um I'll be able to get all my blades done and more. I'll have I should have plenty of of open time on that grinder. All your blades and half of my blades. How about yeah. all my blades and all of your blades? <laughs> I, yeah, probably. Honestly, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah, that's the that, that's the highlight of this week. Nice. And then Grant, you maybe have a extra sharpener. Yeah, dude. This has been a week for a lot of things for me. Um, so, so I want to start Monday, my air compressor came in. I, I then proceeded to drop my air compressor on myself. Nice. Uh, Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So, so, you know, we have a forklift at the shop. Uh, and so I got, I got them to drop the forklift or drop the air compressor on pallet, like midway through my shop. And then I was just going to kind of drag it over to the final spot. It's, it's not too heavy. It's like, three or four hundred pounds but it's really top heavy it's all in the top it's all in the top which i didn't really think about yeah and so we dropped the forklift and then he leaves and so i'm sitting there just like unbolting the compressor from the pallet and then i'm like oh i have to remove this from the pallet i have to pick this thing up pull the pallet out and put it back down which oh my gosh yeah so that's you know this is just now starting the series of unfortunate events and so what I do is I just kind of try to scoot it off the pallet like one step at a time. I figured if I got it to the edge, then I could just kind of get one leg down, kick the pallet and set it back up. Right. Not the end of the world. Unfortunately, the first like scoot, the leg goes right through the board on the pallet and the whole thing comes falling on me. Oh, my oh, God. Shit. So I just, you know, like slow motion am catching this thing and just like using all of my force to make sure this doesn't kill me and just bring it to the ground, just rub a nasty bruise into my knee while I'm doing it. And then it, oh I set it down, got the pallet off. So now I have it off the pallet on the floor. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to drag it to the final destination. So I do that. So I hook up a strap to it, just drag it over. Cause it's, it's all protected. It's got, you know, steel protection on the top. So nothing's really getting hurt. Right. Um, I drag it over and then I was like, I have to set this thing back up. Well, I was wondering why it was on the ground at an like sideways. Yeah, just straight up fell on me. I'm like, why the hell would they ship it to you that way? <laughs> no, it did. It straight up fell on me. God, I mean, um, I'm, I'm glad you didn't get hurt with that. That could have been a lot worse. Yeah, no, it could have been really bad. I I got a bruise, and my knee hurts, but it, like I'm really fine. Uh, okay, good. Could have been really bad. Yeah. Anyway, so I get it, and I, I I'm in my head. I'm like, oh, I'm pretty strong. I can just set this thing back up. I don't know. I, whatever is in it, it's like 300 pounds at the top. And I have to, and this yeah. thing is like six feet tall. So there, there literally was no way I was actually squatting this thing up. Not to mention no. on the motor and the compressor part, there's nothing to grab that isn't like sharp and, or really important. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it just wasn't happening. So then I hooked up a strap system through the ceiling. I took my Jeep. I drove it around the back 
opened up the bay door oh, and yeah. I just I just cantilevered it from my Jeep to the rafters back to the air compressor and just set this thing back up. Oh, you uh, used your Jeep to pull I, it. I used my Jeep to pull it. <laughs> and and yet it somehow worked flawlessly. That's that that awesome. part worked flawless. It was a horrible idea. If OSHA showed up, I'd be screwed, but it it yeah, worked right. so well. I thought um, you were just pulling it by hand. I saw the picture and my mind immediately went to like cavemen trying to build Stonehenge. That's the, that's what I felt like. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> winch for the Jeep. You never know. Yo. When you'll need it. Yeah, no, yeah, I, my winch is my next thing. And I, I've been putting it off because I haven't had time to go off roading, but it right. would have come in handy today. Who would have thought you needed it for your shop? Yeah. I also need to get some sort of pulley or come along for like, uh, what do they call it? The, a winch, winch block or, um, a snatch block. Snatch block. Yeah, I need a snatch block. Yeah. Anyway, so that was that was Monday. <laughs> and then uh luckily air compressor is working great. My blades have never looked better. Um awesome. my tool life is through the roof. It is such a blessing to have clean, dry air and enough of it to run yes. the shop. So have you noticed like a legitimate improvement just yeah. because of the better CFM and higher airflow? Oh yeah, I mean, so first off, my end, so I was breaking my three sixteenths end mill before the pallet ended every single day without air because I literally yes. had like right. five psi yep. of air, which oh, is basically God. nothing. Yeah. Um. So I was breaking my three sixteenths every day. Uh. So air compressors in. I haven't broken a single tool. My tools look brand new after the pallet, and my blades are on both sides perfectly crisp. Nice. Um, so even even like the very tip where I was still having a little bit of like weird ghost like yep. rubbing or whatever, completely yep. gone. Now it's like a perfectly clean, clean, crisp tip. Awesome, um, that's awesome. Yeah, air makes a huge difference. Fun fact. <laughs> yeah, right. I do wonder if I notice any improvements if I just upped my air psi from like twenty five to sixty. I think you should. I'm running sixty right now, and it it is great like it my little compressor really that i'm using for that can't keep up with 60 it could probably keep up with like 40 maybe 35 yeah. mine's I, also I, a really really like concentrated stream of air though oh yeah we do have different nozzles what's up john yep yeah i was gonna say so is mine because i only have the two and a half horse screw so it's like it doesn't keep up if i go any mm-hmm. higher mm-hmm. i definitely i mean so i was running Previously, I was running 100 psi, but through a, a really tight nozzle. So I think it wasn't actually 100 psi at the tip. I think it was more like 40, probably. Right. Because um, I'm noticing right now, I have a lot more air when I feel it coming out. Um, nice. And I'm getting better results than I was when I had that air from the other compressor. So I think the more air, the better. I think it's worth upgrading a compressor. I think yeah. you'll get better finishes. Because you also got a dryer, right? Yeah. Now I have a, a proper refrigerator dryer. Yeah. So now you have not only dry air but cold air. Yeah, cold, cold, dry, a lot of air. It is so good. (laughs) Nice. Like three grand in total, but oh, so worth it. I should have done it a while ago. Yep. For just the dryer. No, uh, the compressor was two, two, twenty two hundred, and then the dryer was eight hundred. Yeah. Yeah, I'll send you a link. It's like sixteen CFM, I think, and it it's great. I should probably just do that. I thought, yeah. it was, I thought it was like five grand for the compressor, which I still should do. But no, I shopped around for a while, and because the problem is from from like sixteen to twenty CFM is like three grand difference. So yeah. I just figured I'd, I'll go on the lower end. But I'm my, you know, the compressor I have in the shop is five, so it's three yeah, times exactly. that compressor. Yeah. Yep. Way worth it. So that was nice. your Monday. So that was my Monday. <laughs> yep. So so Tuesday rolls around. I mean, what do I do on Tuesday? Um, 
I've been nonstop on phone calls with, so m- my Haas, right? I bought the Haas. Uh, yeah. I got a call being like, hey, there, so th- the rigger, there's a rigger at the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, all he's going to do is is essentially prep the Haas for pickup. And then he has a loader so he can load it onto a trailer. And I was like, great, I'll pay you. And it was like even thousand bucks to do that. Because now I'm on a time crunch to get this thing out. Exactly. And, and unfortunately, the entire industry for freighting is like four weeks backed out. Uh, so, yeah. and I need this gone by a week. I need it from off of their property in the next week. So it's, it's a nightmare. Anyway, so um, I, I've been calling, like, I've probably called 50 or 60 different freight companies trying to get quotes, trying to get somebody to go out there. Right. Uh, Turns out what my Frontier's shop manager, he has a cousin that does hot shop shipping. And so he just, he has a big flat trailer that he can, he can put a machine on. And I was like, great. Okay. Now I have the loader and a trailer. Now I need to unload it. And so then I had to make another bunch of calls to get somebody to unload it. Luckily, the people I use to get my VF2 um, in, to, into my shop, they have storage. So I, I didn't need them to deliver it this week. They're going to just receive it and then store it for a couple of weeks until they can deliver it. Yes. Um, so I finally got all of that nailed down. I have spent way too much time and energy calling people. And then this morning, so the the people that are delivering it are sorry. The, yeah, the people that are doing the final delivery, they stop receiving things at 2 p.m. today. Uh, the the Haas is in Houston or is in uh, Fort Worth, which is about six hours from me. Okay. And and so my my deli- my my trailer needed to go from San Antonio, drive five hours essentially to Fort Worth, pick it up, and then drive five hours back all w- before two o'clock today. So <laughs> he left at three in the morning. Oh God! <laughs> he shows up at seven thirty. He gives me a call, says, "Hey, I'm I'm almost there," and I, and I was like, "Oh, cool. Let me, you know." And he said, "I couldn't get a hold of the guy." that's that's there and i was like okay let me get a call i could i couldn't get a hold of the guys the auctioneer or the rigger that's at the at the place to make sure that he has some husk you know getting on his trailer Jesus. and then so the next hour i spent calling them leaving voicemails trying to figure out who else i can call and then i finally got a call back and they're like yeah we're almost there and i was like great okay cool and so that was my morning of, of today um, oh god what else happened? There's something else happening that I, I missed, but... Yeah, oh, well, yeah. I started by talking about the sharpener. Oh, yeah, the sharpener. So, uh, so we, we got a phone call. I, I don't want to go too far into this, because I feel like... I don't, I don't, I don't know, know how much I want to talk... And I'm, yeah, I don't know how much I want to yeah. publicize this, but anyway, so we got a phone call, or I got a phone call for the sharpener that we got at Blade Show, and um, it's getting shipped, and which is awesome, and then... Um. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I actually. I'm gonna keep that off the podcast. I don't want to nuke somebody. That's um, yeah. Long story short, you have two coming. Yeah, I've got two coming. Um, I think we're we're squared away. Um, and we'll talk about it later. I don't. I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't feel I right about that. You're good. Um. Anyways, yeah, sharpener's coming, which I'm really excited about. And then I'll be doing all of Dalen's sharpening. He'll be doing all of my grinding. <laughs> <laughs> very exciting week for for all you guys yeah yep. oh and the other thing so something that i i was on my mind is a lot of work-life balance and something that i'm really not good at and so yesterday you know with, with all of my 
cancer stuff from a few months ago. Now I'm going through oncology and I had to put off an appointment for about a month already. And today was my appointment. It's in San Antonio. It's an hour away from the shop. So essentially, once I leave for my appointment, the shop's no longer. I'm not coming back to work. It's too too much effort. So I got the shop. I busted my ass in the morning, got the shop running, got blades run overnight by uh, whatever, two o'clock. And then showed up. I drove an hour, showed up at my appointment. They're like, oh, your appointment's next week. Wow. which oh, no. I was like, whoa, wait, no, like this today was the day. Like I've, I've had this on my calendar. I set this up like weeks ago. Like this was the appointment. So they just randomly changed my appointment to next week without telling me. Oh, great. Uh, and then that was a whole mess. So I, I lost a, like a, a blade yesterday. And then today I've got to run into San Antonio to meet my trailer at somewhere around two o'clock. So I'll lose today as well. Jeez. Um, That's rough. I, it's brutal and and it's something that like it's unavoidable i don't i don't have a solution but it stresses me out man mm-hmm. um like i don't getting getting your yeah. full-time machinist will be a will be a big help for that stuff oh it'll be huge yeah yeah I, until that point i don't i don't know how you guys deal with this kind of stuff where it's like i i feel so guilty when i'm when the shop's not running because i know how much money i'm losing right um i don't so it's, like yeah i don't make any money so i don't feel guilty <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe i should try that i don't make money and i feel guilty <laughs> oh man i mean like for me um like like with the with the rigging and freight for the for the okamoto i was lucky enough that the 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 seller for it has in-house rigging and they also have a freight company they work with so they set up all on that end for me oh yeah that's nice and then for rigging on my side i'm just having them deliver it to my riggers warehouse and then i can schedule delivery with the rigger whenever i want after that so that's been a really easy process fortunately that's really nice that's how my my service grinder the the one i bought on a whim that's how that was and so the contrast between that and the Haas has just been a nightmare (laughs) right so yeah i always try to prioritize staying in the shop i know like certain things like clearly you need to go have your appointment done and get that taken care of because that's very important Yeah. But uh, most everything else, I'm also lucky that I have really long cycle times. Um, my shortest cycle time is six and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so think I, I can... feel guilty about not being in the shop. It's I feel guilty the mill's not running when it could be. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, th- yeah, that's part of it. Because so the way my shop runs is I have two hour cycle times for the handles. But the biggest problem is every day I have to grind three blades out for the overnight run, which takes about, you know, six hours of straight grinding. Yeah. Yep. Um. And so the problem is, like, I can't set my machine up to run overnight to right now because I need to grind those blades out. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And unfortunately, I ate through my backlog with the other stuff this week because usually I have like an extra three blades so that I can just run it no problem. Um. But now I'm I'm running a little bit lean on that, which means I'm just going to lose today, which is not. It's like it's really not the end of the world, but at the same time. It, right. it hurts. <laughs> yeah, one piece flow can be annoying. It's really good for a dialed in process when you have people there that can keep it moving. But right. uh, when it's just you, sometimes doing some batch work is almost better. Yeah. And that's, I think I'm going to batch work the grinding. And that way, yep. it, right now, the grinding is kind of a weird bottleneck. Like it shouldn't yeah. be a bottleneck, but the problem is it keeps becoming a bottleneck. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was the same thing for me, which is why I finally just got the Okamoto. Yeah. I, I definitely would. If I hadn't just bought the Haas and currently dealing with that, yeah, seriously. <laughs> so maybe maybe next month. Yeah. Yep. Machine a month. 
Yeah. I mean, that's shit. That's how it's been for me almost. Yeah. I bought the Miltronics like two months ago. Jeez. And I go, okay, I'm not buying any more machines until like the end of the year. Yeah. Went, Ooh, oh, this? <laughs> Ooh, nice Okamoto. Cool. I'm going to buy that. Yeah. And then now I, I say, okay, cool. I'm not going to buy anything else. And I bet in a month I'm going to buy a, I'm, I'm going to drop five grand on a compressor. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For sure. I, I give it a week. Yeah. A little longer than that. I need, I need at least one more draw before I buy anything else. There you go. Okay. That's fair. Yep. Should we start wrapping up? Sure. We can start wrapping up. Uh, we still don't have an outro. So uh, thanks for listening to Carbide Content. It's been a pleasure. Uh, and yeah, that's about all the intro I had ready. <laughs> all right. Bye. <laughs> bye. bye until next time. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye.